Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? So good to see all of you. For those who are new or visiting, my name is Ryan. I am the lead pastor here at Arbor. Um, and did you know that we are just two weeks away from Christmas? Yeah, only some of you are excited. <laughs> some of you are like, I still have a lot of presents to buy and plans to make and parties to go to and travel plans to solidify. You know, at this point in most services, a lot of pastors would be like, you know what, let's just lay those things aside. Let's forget about all those things that are stirring up our hearts with worry and concern and anxiety. Here's what I want us to do right now. You, you can even close your eyes as you do this. I want you to bring to mind all the things that are causing you worry and fear and anxiety. Bring those, come on right now, bring them to mind. Draw them into your heart, okay? How, how, how does that feel? Welcome to church, everybody. Welcome. You know, I remember, as, I remember as a kid, I remember as a kid just like so full of hopeful anticipation for Christmas and so excited about it. And we did those little advent calendars as a kid and they were like little torture devices reminding you of how much longer you had to go until that glorious day when you got to open your presents. We, we, we went to church and, and we practiced Advent in home and we read the Christmas story from the Bible on Christmas morning and we even prayed before we opened gifts, but it was all about the presence, right? That's what you were looking forward to. That was the hopeful, joyful anticipation I remember as a kid. But maybe, maybe you're a bit like me now as you've kind of grown older and you start to feel some different things as Christmas starts to get closer. You start to fear some, feel some worry, some concern, some anxiety, maybe a little bit of fear in your hearts. And for some of us, that might be rooted in our childhood. You know, many kids are afraid of Santa Claus, like this kid right here in this picture, right there. Check out that face. Look at that face. Let's get a close-up right there. That is the face of fear, that poor kid. I bet she is still working through that to this day <laughs> right now. Um, listen, but while many of us are not afraid of Santa Claus, anymore. Uh, we all have fears and worries and concerns, and some of them are really small. Some of them might be like buying the perfect gift for that person, your wife, that spouse, whoever it is, and a pro tip for husbands and boyfriends here in the room today. Get your pens out. This is free of charge right now. Only buy workout clothes or gym shoes or running shoes if they ask for them, okay? <laughs> Otherwise, you are a dead man walking, let me tell you. Maybe you're afraid of some kind of family gathering coming up and, you know, it's the first time the family's been together for months and it's that big, complicated meal and, you know, what could possibly go wrong, right? At that gathering, you have mom there in the corner with those, that dead look in her eyes, like, don't bother her right now because no one's helping out, put away all the sharp objects. It's, it's Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, right? We have different fears, concerns, anxieties, around this time of year. Now, we can joke about these things, but many of us really do experience this. We experience worry, increased concern, anxiety, fear during this time. And if we've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, many of us have probably heard something like this, that fear is the absence of faith. Have you heard something like that before? Fear is the absence of faith. And I don't think that statement or that saying is wrong, but I wanna look at it from a slightly different angle more often than not, I think fear isn't just the absence of faith. I actually think fear is the evidence of faith. But I think it's faith in the wrong things. Fear is faith in the what ifs of life. What if 
the economy tanks and I lose my retirement savings? What if a recession comes into this world and I lose my job? What if someone I love gets diagnosed with a serious illness? Uh, what, what if I never get married? What if I do get married and I marry a terrible person, you know? Fear is faith in the what ifs. Fear is placing our faith in the worst case scenario. That's what fear is. That's what fear is. And today, we're gonna start this new series called The Way in a Manger. And what we're gonna do over the next couple of weeks is we're gonna turn our attention away from some of these things, some of these fears and anxieties and anger and concern that we might experience during the holiday season. And we're gonna turn our attention towards some of the really important characters of the Christmas story. And as we turn our attention toward these individuals who were there when Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life was born in that manger, what we're gonna see today is that again and again, their involvement with this story of the coming Messiah, it brought great fear into their lives. It's a really interesting coincidence as we look at some of these characters in the Christmas story, the fear that we see in their lives. But what we see time and time again is that God shows up on the scene and he has a better word for them. And he has a better word for us than the fear we might experience in our circumstances. And so the first person I want to look at today is Mary. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out right now. You can open up to Luke. We're gonna start right at the very beginning, chapter one, or you can follow along on the screens as we look at the story of Mary during Christmas time, and it goes like this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. There she is. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But listen, verse 29. She was greatly troubled by his words and began to wonder about the meaning of this greeting. And so the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen, you will, be, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, now, just briefly for a moment, put yourself in Mary's shoes. How would you feel if you were Mary in that moment? What would be going on in your mind? I think for me, encountering that scene with the angel showing up, and I'm not sure what it's like when an angel shows up. That's never happened for me personally. But like, I don't know if there's like lights or sound or glitter sparkling down from the ceiling or whatever. I have no idea what's going on. But I think we can completely understand that Mary would be greatly troubled, let alone this dude just randomly shows up. If a dude randomly shows up in my house, I'm greatly troubled, right? But look, Mary wasn't greatly troubled about the presence of the angel. Look at what greatly troubled her. Look at verse 29. She was greatly troubled by his words. Interesting, huh? She was greatly troubled by his words. She wasn't afraid of Gabriel himself, the angel. She was troubled by what he was telling her. Essentially, since Gabriel was a messenger of God, she was afraid of what God was telling her. And I think this is, this is a common fear that so many of us face, that I'm afraid of what God is asking me to do. Maybe this is a fear you face this Christmas season. You are afraid of what God is asking you to do. Again, Mary isn't afraid of Gabriel here. She's afraid of what he's telling her. 
She's afraid of the weight and the responsibility of raising not just this baby, not just finding out she's miraculously pregnant, but, but she's going to give birth to the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, God Most High. Like, we just need to think about Mary for a moment and who she really was. I mean, she was a young girl. She was a teenager. She was just a small-town girl. Living in a lonely world, right? 13, 14, 15 years old, she was young. And at this time, she was engaged to this guy named Joseph, and she would have probably been wondering and thinking about and pondering, what's my life with Joseph going to be like? What's it, what's it going to be like being married to a carpenter? Uh, are, are we going to have a lot of kids? Is life going to be easy? Is it going to be fun or is it going to be really hard? These are the things that she would have been pondering and thinking about. And then all of a sudden, barreling in comes this angel with this massive announcement that has completely changed her life. And so again, how would you respond in this moment? Would you be thinking? Would you be afraid? Would you be concerned? Maybe you would be annoyed. You'd be like, that's that's quite the interruption in my life. That's, that's quite inconvenient. Listen, I think many of us are afraid of what God is asking us to do because, because we look at it as inconvenient. We had plans, we had ideas of what our life was going to look like and we, we charted it out and we were like, here's what I'll be doing in a year, here's what I'll be doing in five years, here's what I'll be doing in 10 years, but life has a way of interrupting our plans, Right? God has a way of redirecting our lives. And so, listen, while God's interruptions in our lives might feel inconvenient, we need to understand that what we see as an interruption, God sees as an invitation. What we see as an interruption in our lives, God sees as an invitation. Those times in life where it feels like things get disrupted and we are off course and we're like, God, what are you doing in the midst of this season in my life where it feels so inconvenient and it feels like an interruption? God is inviting us to something better, to something higher. I mean, think about Sunday mornings. What is gathering together as a church on Sunday morning other than an interruption in our regularly scheduled programming, right? Think about all the other wonderful things you could be doing other than gathering in this room with a bunch of other people. You're like, is this guy's a pastor? Is he really saying that right now? But like, think about the slow Sunday morning you could have. Think about the things that are on your to-do list right now. And for many of you, you're probably in a season of your life where you didn't go to church but someone pestered you and invited you or maybe circumstances in your life outside of your control kind of led you to the spot where you're like, I I need to get back into church and you started coming to church and while it might have been inconvenient, while it might have been an interruption in your life throughout your week, what you began to realize was maybe as you gathered with God's people and you were singing, there was a particular lyric that stuck out and really spoke to you. Maybe you felt like God was speaking directly to you through, through a message one Sunday morning. Maybe it was just gathering together with God's people and feeling the wholeness of fellowship with other human beings in community and what you once saw as an interruption, an inconvenient interruption, you now realize was God inviting you to something better, inviting you to something higher. I mean, what else is serving but an interruption in our lives? 
serving other people and, and maybe someone kind of dragged you along. Maybe you were convicted again during a message or, or maybe there was like someone who served in kids ministry and they're like, hey, you'd be great here with toddlers and you're like, I don't even like toddlers. They smell and they're loud but you went anyway or maybe someone invited you to lead a group here at Arbor and you're like, I, I don't have the time. I don't have the skills. I don't know how to do that but over time what you realized was God used that inconvenient interruption in your life and he invited you to something better and throughout the week now some of your highlights throughout the week are serving our kids in our kids ministry or being a part of that group what we oftentimes see as an interruption God sees as an invitation into our lives to something better to something higher to something deeper listen we're oftentimes going to find that when God interrupts our lives he leads us to something very different than we planned very different I can guarantee you that as Mary pondered her life with Joseph, this was not on her bingo card, okay? As she was planning for her wedding, she didn't put this on her Pinterest board, okay? This was completely off the table in her mind. And I'm sure that there are some things that God is asking you to do right now that are completely outside of what you planned. And you're like, how am I going to do this? And how am I going to find the time? How am I gonna find the money Listen, in the moments when God is asking you to do something that causes fear to rise up in your heart, understand this. Your only responsibility in that moment is obedience. God's responsibility is the outcome. Your responsibility is obedience. God will take care of the outcome. So let's turn our attentions back to uh, God's word now. Uh, We're gonna flip back in the Bible from Luke over to Matthew and turn our attention away from Mary over to Joseph right now. So turn to Matthew chapter one. We're gonna look at verse 14. Again, you can follow along on the screens. In Matthew one, we meet Joseph and it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. While his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, we haven't unpacked the crazy story of Mary trying to tell Joseph that she's pregnant, right? I mean, can you just picture that scene, like Mary approaching Joseph and being like, Joseph, honey, I've got something I need to tell you, okay? Um, you're, you're probably gonna wanna sit down for this, okay? Um, I'm, uh, I'm pregnant, yeah. But it's not what you think. It's not what you think. It's the Holy Spirit, okay? What do you think Joseph is thinking in that moment? What's going on in his mind? I'm sure he loves Mary, but he's like, oh no, this woman is either crazy or a liar, right? And look at what Joseph does. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. Joseph, and again, I'm sure he loved Mary. He cared for Mary. But what does he decide to do here? He decides to divorce her privately. And why does he decide to do this? Well, again, I, see, I think we see another fear in Joseph's heart here that many of us face that, that's common to so many of us, and it's this. I'm afraid of what people will think about me. I'm afraid of what people will think about me. I think this is what Joseph is feeling in this moment because all of a sudden this woman who he's not married to yet, they're just engaged, He finds out she's pregnant and and Joseph has got to be thinking in this moment, what are people gonna think about me? What are people gonna think? 
And if Joseph decides to make a big deal out of this, this woman that he loves, listen, she's gotten pregnant and he's like, that's not my kid. This, this kind of offense was punishable by death. And so he doesn't want to do that, but if he stays with her, then people are going to think that, that, that they violated that covenant before they got married and Joseph was the one that did that. And, and, and then they both have to live with that shame. And so, so Joseph is kind of faced with this lose-lose scenario and he's wondering, what are people going to think about me? And so survey time, by a show of hands, how many of you care what others think about you? Just raise your hands nice and high. Keep them up. Keep them up. Now look around. Keep them up and look around. Now look at the people who aren't raising their hands. And be like, you're just not raising your hand because you care what I think, right? Just say that, okay? All of us, I think, to a certain extent, we kind of, sort of care what others think about us. Do you like the car I drive? Do you like the clothes I wear? Do you think I'm smart? Do you think I'm funny? Do you think I'm nice? Do you like my Instagram selfie, right? Like, we have all of these things that we put forward and we're like, do you like me? Do you like me? What do you think about me? And so for many of us, our actions are driven by this fear of what other people will think about us. That's what our actions are driven by. Especially, this is especially true when we are faced with a decision between what is easy and what is right. Between what is easy and what is right. And that's what Joseph faced here in this moment. Joseph faced this really difficult decision, finding out that his, that his fiance essentially was pregnant and it wasn't his child and, and what do I do and what are people going to think and he didn't want to make a bigger deal out of it so he goes to sleep that night and he decides I'm going to divorce her quietly so that we can kind of maintain um, our dignity and she can maintain her dignity and go off and do what she needs to do but look at what happens next in the story. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, it says this, when he had contemplated this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said this, Joseph, son of David, and here it is again, look, do not be afraid. Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child conceived in her, listen, it is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so here we have it again. Another angel of the Lord coming into the scene and saying, don't be afraid. Joseph, don't let your fears dominate you. Don't let your fear decide the decision you're about to make. I've got this. And imagine what Joseph would have been thinking in that moment. Like he was an Israelite and he probably would have been thinking like, wow, this is incredible. Like here I am, I'm just this guy in this small town, I'm a carpenter, and, and, and since I've, I was a kid, I've heard stories about this coming Messiah, this one that they've long prophesied about, and I get to play a very, very small role in this incredible story, in, in the most important story in all of history. But again, he probably thought to himself, but what are people going to think? This is absolutely going to cost us. But remember what we said earlier, our responsibility in these moments is merely obedience. God will take care of the outcome. God will take care of the outcome. And and listen to this, extraordinary acts of God often begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Mighty moves of God in this world often begin through simple acts acts of faith, like Joseph choosing to stay with Mary, listening to that angel in that dream, saying, don't be afraid. This is really happening, and I'm going to take care of you, and it's going to be okay. 
Listen, we don't need all the details to obey immediately. We don't need all the details to obey immediately. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they didn't have all the details right away, right? They were just simply told, here's what's gonna happen. You're going to have the son of God, okay? They didn't have a Q&A. They weren't able to be like, so like, what does it actually mean that we're gonna raise the son of God? Like, like do we have to discipline him? Like, he's the son of God, so he should be perfect, so we don't have to spank him, right? Does he spank us? Like, how does this work out? I, 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 this is a little confusing here. Again, we don't have to have all the information to obey immediately. God can do amazing things through one simple act of obedience. For, for example, imagine the impact that inviting one person to church can have. Now, what are they gonna think about me? Maybe they'll think I'm weird that I go to church. Yeah, they might, but they might say yes. They might say yes and they might come here and they might hear the gospel and their life might be transformed. And they might bring their family and their lives might be transformed. We have no idea how God can move through simple acts of faith. Okay, so a couple fears we've seen so far. I'm afraid of what God's asking me to do. I'm afraid of what people will think about me. One last fear. Let's jump back over to Luke and let's hang out with the shepherds now. Is that cool? Let's go to the shepherds. Luke chapter two, verse eight. Check this out. Now there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, what did it say? Do not be afraid, right? Listen carefully. For I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. A final fear that many of us face, and this is kind of a bigger one. I'm afraid of where I stand with God. I'm afraid of where I stand with God. I love this story. I love the shepherds. I think they're the best. And I love kind of what happens here. You know, like it wasn't just an angel, right? Like Mary got an angel. Joseph got an angel. They got like this whole host of angels, right? They're in the middle of the night. It's dark. They're out in the field. And I love the way this translation puts it, that they were absolutely terrified, right? Like they must have been freaking out about this. But why would they have been so afraid in this moment? Well, I think we need to understand shepherds. Shepherds compared to other people socially were like the lowest of the low. They would have felt totally inadequate compared to everyone else around them. Like first of all, they would have been physically disgusting, okay? You spend every single waking moment of yours out in the field with sheep, you're gonna get gross too, okay? So they were physically dirty, but not only were they physically dirty, they were spiritually dirty, They were spiritually dirty because they couldn't practice Sabbath like other Israelites. They couldn't go to temple because they had to tend to their flock. I mean, this was a 24-7 job. They couldn't get away from it. And they were poor. They were significantly less educated than others. Because of the reputation of other shepherds, they were considered thieves because a lot of shepherds were thieves. They were considered dishonest. They weren't allowed to testify in like a public court situation. And so because of all of these different pieces, they would have felt unlovable as well because rarely would a father give his daughter over to be married to a shepherd. Be like the worst. And so they would have felt inadequate. They would have felt unworthy. They would have felt unlovable. I know that many of us, we walk into this place on a Sunday morning and this is how we feel. We feel inadequate. 
we feel unworthy. We feel unlovable. And we might come here on a Sunday morning and we put on our happy church face and we're like, everything's so awesome. It's great, but inside we know what's going on. And we know what we feel. We know the things that we've done. We know the things that we've done in secret and we live in fear. We live in fear of, of, of how we compare ourselves to others, but we, we also live in fear of, of where we stand with God. We compare ourselves to others. We feel like we'll never measure up. We look at other people's highlight reels on social media and we're like, man, like I'm never gonna be as attractive as that person. I'm never gonna take a nice vacation like that person. We look at that family with like the color-coordinated outfits and the perfect Christmas pictures and we're like, that's never gonna be my family. Like I almost threw my kid out the car on the way to church today because they wouldn't shut up, right? Like that's who, that's who we are. But listen, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you put forth and present, none of us in this room will ever measure up. None of, it, none of us in this room will ever be good enough, whether we're the person who has this life that's falling apart or we've displayed this perfect picture-perfect picture, picture image on social media, whether we're the family that's arriving late to church, fresh off a fight, or the picture-perfect family on Facebook. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are. None of us will measure up. None of us are worthy enough. None of us are able to bridge the divide that our brokenness and that our sin have created with God. And that's why Christmas is the best. Because it's in this little manger where God made a way. It's in this manger where God changed everything. He bridges the divide between us and him through this baby Jesus. He makes a way from all of our fears and worries and concerns to his perfect peace through this manger. The way from fear to peace is through this manger. It's through the way, the truth, the life, Jesus Christ. That's where perfect peace is found. The good news is that peace isn't found in the absence of our problems. It's found in the presence of Jesus. That's where peace is found. I think many of us wrongly think that if my circumstances just changed, then I would experience perfect peace. If I got that perfect Christmas gift, if I had that perfect Christmas experience, then I would have peace. But listen, what if your bad circumstances aren't the evidence of peace, they're just showing the lack of peace that you already had? The good news is that peace isn't found in the absence of our problems. It's found in the presence of Jesus. The peace that surpasses all understanding that Paul talks about in Philippians that we just read about a couple weeks ago, the peace that our heart longs for in the midst of our fears, it's not found in, in the resolution of our problems. It's found in the presence of Jesus. And so this Christmas, my simple encouragement to our church, to our family this morning is this, seek Jesus. Seek him. Set your heart upon him. Set your eyes upon him. Isaiah 26.3 has this incredible promise and it says this. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Let me read that again. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. The peace that each and every one of us are looking for, it's found in the presence of the Prince of Peace. Jesus, the one who came in a manger, would we fix our minds, our hearts, our thoughts on him this Christmas season. Isaiah 26, four, the verse right after it, it says this. 
It says, trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is an eternal rock. Don't worry about your shifting circumstances, your fluctuating moods. We worship the eternal rock. That is who came to the manger, Jesus, our sure foundation. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would we set our minds and our hearts on him? When we get up in the morning, would the first thing our eyes look at not be social media, but would they be the scriptures? When fear rises up in our hearts, would we not simply reach out and phone a friend, but would we cry out to God just as Paul wrote in Philippians 4? He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, right? Easier said than done though, right? Don't, pray about any, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The good news of Christmas is that perfect peace is not found in the absence of problems, but it's found in the presence of Jesus. And so would our hearts, our minds, our thoughts be set on him this Christmas season. Would you pray with me? Would you stand and pray with me now? Lord Jesus, there are so many fears, so many fears that we have. We are afraid of what people will think about us. We're afraid of where we stand with you, God. So many fears. But this Christmas season, God, I pray that as we reflect on this story that so many of us are familiar with, I pray right now that we would already, even in this moment, begin to experience your perfect peace that peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, as we continue to worship you and as we sing these last couple of songs, God, I pray that your spirit would stir our hearts to set our thoughts upon you even in this space so that as we go from this place into the troubles, into the worries, into the concerns that we have, into the anxieties that we have, God, or that, that we would feel your tangible peace, that it would be guarding our minds, that it would be guarding our hearts, and that we would be, be able to enter into our families, our workplaces, that Christmas party, that family gathering, Lord, as people of peace, as people of peace, bringing this message of peace and this message of hope and joy this Christmas season, God. Would you already begin to transform us, God? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.